Hello and welcome to the Extreme Perspectives podcast. We bring you conversations with the people who see things differently and think differently. The creators, outliers, misfits, rebels, and the crazy ones from the Sense Network. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. I seek out people from the edges of culture, those who are creating the future, people who want to change things and push the human race forward. Together, we collaborate with some of the world's most innovative companies to help them be more innovative. Today, we're speaking with the rebels, strategist, financial advisor, and remarkable parents, Sharon and Michael Lewis of Tutor Financial. Keep listening as we discuss how the disruption of COVID has normalized bad behaviors, particularly with alcohol, drugs, social media, and work, and is creating the next generation of addicts, the pandemic within the pandemic. And how might we become more aware of this crisis and be better informed to deal with recovery, both emotionally and financially? Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Michael. How are you today? Doing well, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Great to be well, here. Thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure. I'm really looking forward to uh, learning more about your journey and what you're currently up to. Uh, but like with all of the Extreme Perspective podcasts, I open with the same question. So just before you introduce yourself, I'm going to ask, are you an outlier, a misfit, a rebel, or a crazy one? Wow. I, I like to say I'm a little bit of all, but I'm going to pick rebel because I think what Sharon and I are trying to do in some ways does shake up the financial service industry. Um, that that business has traditionally been face to face with the top two percent wealth wise. Uh, we are trying to bring services to the rest of the ninety eight percent. We think that uh, technology, uh, Zoom conferencing, uh, has really opened the door for us. Who are really delivering a message that's not uh, localized, but it is very much universal, which is trying to help the underserved, the families that are experiencing uh, a, a significant change in final, financial fortune uh, to have access to uh, not only the technology, but professional advice that is typically reserved for the, the high net worth people. And we're trying to do it in a very affordable and scalable way. I think that the word rebel is also applied when we think of one of the target audiences that we serve, which is families that have had a loved one with an addictive personality, which has been the cause of that tremendous change in financial fortune. We know that the opioid crisis was having a huge impact across the world, and we know that the pandemic has caused yet another pandemic, and that surges in alcoholism, drug addiction, relapses, et cetera, are causing families to have to spend money to save, literally save, their loved ones in ways that they had never imagined or planned for or continue to have trouble acknowledging. And these are, these are families, whether they have money or not, that need to manage their finances in a different way. And Michael and I bring that ability to help them with that perspective in ways that others cannot. Well, I'm sure with that introduction, everyone is now leaning in and um, keen to hear more because 
you know, it is one of those things it's so easy for people not to talk about and it not to make it into the mainstream media. And one of the things that we're always trying to do here is kind of going out to the edges and trying to tell some of those stories to bring them into the mainstream. So just as a, a, a quick introduction, who are you, where are you? And tell us a little bit about your, your life journey so far, kind of what's led you to this point of what you're doing. Um, okay, so Sharon and I moved down to Raleigh, North Carolina about, what, three years ago mm -hmm. now, I guess. Uh, originally, the goal was for retirement. I had this view of uh, golf in the morning, barbecue in the afternoon, a glass of wine and a hammock at night. Uh, and every time I say it out loud, I go, wow, that sounds really good. Uh, the other side of it is neither one of us are really ready to just withdraw. Uh, and we saw this as an opportunity for us to do something that A, we're passionate about and B, something that actually contributes back to the communities that we, we live in. Like most people, I think ultimately you're motivated by something that happened to you in life. For us, that is clearly the case. Uh, we've been married, I can't do the math, but since 1983. Uh, we have two children, uh, one of which is in recovery. He's been in recovery now for five years and six months. But prior to that, it took us 15 years to get him there. Uh, that was a journey that tested us as a family, tested us as a couple. Um, and individually. And individually, fair enough. Um, we were going down a rabbit hole that we had no idea of where it was going to take us. Uh, you know, you talk about not being comfortable sharing stories about uh, addiction. Uh, Sharon says that uh, I'm known as the two stigma man. I'll, I'll let her uh, explain that. Sure. So, you know, finances are a personal subject. It's an intimate subject. Nobody wants to really show their cards, if you will. And so when you're working with a financial advisor, you are obviously in a position where they're going to know what you do and you don't have. When you have a family member that has any kind of an addictive behavior, again, this is a stigma. Nobody wants to talk about that kind of situation. It represents a disease. It represents behaviors that aren't well-respected, if you will. Um, I love an ad I once saw where it descri conceptually described the story of a, a young woman that had just been admitted to the emergency room for an overdose. And the next sentence of the ad reads, you're imagining this person comes from a very difficult background. Reality check, she's the daughter of your chief financial officer. That doesn't mean she doesn't come from a difficult background, but it really hits you between the eyes when it reminds you that this is a disease that has no boundaries or respect for any background that you come from, good, bad, or anything in between. So one of the things that we're trying to do is really also create a disruption in terms of how people look at items that have previously been stigmatized. Addictive behaviors is one of them. We think one of the other interesting channels that we're looking at right now, when you think about the pandemic and we talk about the pandemic within the pandemic, is what about the long haulers? You know, they didn't ask to get COVID. They didn't ask to have the long-term effects on their health and well-being that COVID delivers. And in a similar way, they're experiencing what the families of a loved one with an addictive behavior has to deal with. It's a long-term impact and you didn't ask for it and you didn't necessarily do anything that made it happen. So how do we deal with that? How do we help people do that? And you're calling this the pandemic within the pandemic, 
this is is that yes. that was the idea that kind of sits behind that this is beginning to surface even more hardship and this you know and through no fault of anyone else and so there's as a direct parallel with maybe having a a family member who um who who needs some support as well right exactly yeah. and we've been talking about this now for a year if not more so early on in covid uh, i approached somebody and I said, I think we should do an article on um, addictive behaviors. I said, I'm concerned that we're creating the next generation of addicts because of what's going on now. And she looked at me and she goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, what's happening is, is we're all now forced to live in our homes. We are now starting to normalize what used to be, for lack of a better word, unnormal behavior. A good example is happy hour. Now, typically happy hour was after work and people would work five, five thirty, and they go, Hey, would you like to go grab a drink, beer, a glass of wine or whatever? And you go and you have one and you go home. And typically you were pretty careful about it because you had to drive home. Well, now we're all locked into our rooms and happy hour was turned into virtual happy hour. And it's also started at five thirty. but you realize you didn't have to drive anymore. So maybe you imbibed a little bit more than you normally would. Then happy hour started to move back. Instead of 5.30, let's do it at five o'clock, four o'clock, three o'clock. Let's have it for lunch. Let's do mimosas for breakfast. All the while, your family members, your children, the younger generation are watching this and they're seeing this. And as impressionable as they are, this is starting to look like acceptable behavior. And the concern was, is are we teaching them? Are we, are, are we getting them to the point where we're just grooming the next round of of addicts because they're seeing it as such a normalized behavior. And uh, I think we're seeing evidence of that. It's very concerning to the two of us. And I think addictive behaviors, it's important when we talk about it, that it's not just, you know, alcohol and drugs. Addictive behavior is also how much you work. Addictive behavior, you know, for an entrepreneur or for um, a small business owner, it's not difficult to spend 23 hours a day on your business. There's a reason why they call it a workaholic. So what's the, what's the spectrum? Maybe being an entrepreneur is an addiction because you get obsessive behaviors and you get single-minded and it becomes all-encompassing for you and it kind of consumes your whole life. And we've touched on, you've said there's drugs and alcohol and there's things beyond that as well. What are the, what are the things that you're seeing? What, is, what, are the, what are the big ones on your radar? Wow, that's a good question. So let's stop and think about it. So from the, from the entrepreneurial perspective, what we're seeing is a whole generation of middle managers, um, people who have had long standing careers in corporate America being forced out and having to basically figure out how am I gonna make ends meet? And it typically starts with, I guess I'll go into consulting and maybe that works and maybe it doesn't, or maybe I have a passion idea. For others, it's, Online investing, okay, I can't do it. I hear everybody's into cryptocurrency. Maybe I should buy some of that. Uh, online gambling, uh, hey, at least I have a shot at making money. So uh, I read a few books. I understand how the game works and maybe I can beat the system. But you've got a lot of people that are under the guise of trying to do the right thing for their family are actually bringing the family down. Uh, and the support network that surrounds it, uh, which is typically the spouse and maybe the immediate family, don't really know what to do because they're all in, in kind of in the same boat, which is the, the primary bed, breadwinner has had 
basically their legs cut out from under them. Uh, what do we have to do? Very few, at least on the onset, are willing to accept it so they don't jump to let's make life-changing decisions, let's alter uh, you know, the way we live, let's reconsider some things. Uh, I guess Sharon could add a little bit more to this. Maybe it's just false hope that you know, they need to believe in something. And it's also noble. I mean, for those who are trying to start a business, I mean, how do you not support that? How do you not applaud that? I mean, isn't that the great American way? I think that there's a lot of, uh, this is a time where we can disrupt our behaviors, some of which have already happened beyond our control and some of which are going to happen within our conscious efforts and control. I think that as scary as the pandemic has been for everybody over the last 15, 18 months and will continue for some period of months, this is an opportunity for positive change. And it's an opportunity for us to learn and to grow moving forward. One great example is let's take out the stigma of some of these addictive behaviors across the board, whether it be entrepreneurship or drugs. Let's figure out how to handle ourselves and our approach to money, our approach to planning in a more positive way. And let's be willing to share with others. It's not, you know, again, years and years ago, I remember there was an ad where there was a well-dressed woman in a cab and she said, my $100,000 isn't good enough for you. Okay. It's time for us to really understand what is financial literacy, what is financial planning, and what does that mean for people that are on the trajectory of making a really wonderful career for themselves? What does it mean for those who have had their legs cut out from under them because of the economic impacts of the pandemic, or who've had their legs cut out from under them because of addictive behaviors or health-related chronic illnesses that have suddenly entered their family that necessitate huge amounts of investment that our insurance infrastructure cannot handle. April is known as um, Financial Awareness Month. It's also Alcohol Awareness Month. And I recently did a blog on this. I go, what divine intervention <laughs> put these two together in the same month? I mean, you, you'd think they were so disconnected. But in fact, when, when I stopped to think about it, in the end, people who are successful in recovery have recognized that A, they have a problem, which is a big deal. Two, they recognize that they, whatever they're doing doesn't work. Uh, and three, they are now open to the possibility of change uh, as long as they're being you know, properly guided and informed. Well, in fact, when you think about working with a financial advisor, uh, that's what we're doing too, except we're, we're trying to train you from uh, a behavioral perspective with respect to finances. You know, we talked about being a rebel uh, early on. Uh, the reason we called our company Tudor Financial is we're big on the educational aspects. We don't think that financial advisory services give us your money, we'll give you a return. It is really more about looking at your life through the financial lens in a holistic way. And also understanding exactly what are your attitudes towards money. Now, in, in the recovery world, Sharon and I learned very quickly that our attitude towards money prior to having the issue was dramatically different than what happened when we were faced in the, you know, in the throes of it. I would say that we live a fairly frugal life. We, mm -hmm. we believe in saving. Uh, we're thinking about retirement. But when you have a loved one who you feel is their life is in jeopardy, all of a sudden you're spending stupendous amounts of money that you never would have spent on your own. Uh, 
but you're putting it in places that you don't fully understand. You don't know if, if they're working and you're not making the life adjustments. Our goal as, as advisors is, is to look at the behavioral aspects as well, because in the end, we think positive change comes from you know, the inside, you, you have to, it's, it's the same thing with finances as it is with, with recovery. You have to recognize that what you were doing isn't working uh, and you have to have a, a willingness to accept that fact and accept change from, you know, an external <clears throat> provider. And that's what we are. So we, we look at ourselves as not only tutors, but coaches and advisors. To bring this to life a little bit, I mean, I'm guessing there are different circumstances or different scenarios that you can be walking into. But help me understand just what a what a typical journey might look like. And when I say a journey, it's like, what sort of issues do you encounter when you first come into contact with the people that you're supporting? And then what are the types of things that you are helping them to deal with? Because what I think is fascinating with what you're doing is we know that there is there is help for dealing with this, but like you said, the financial impact of this is it's just I've never well you you can hear some astronomical numbers. You know sometimes like what what rehab costs. You know people talk about this, the cost per week and stuff like that. But it's there's far more than that, and then there's the the impact of all of that. So could you just bring to life a little bit? So I was just kind of what that journey might look like, and how you help, and how you tutor, and, and how you coach. Sure, a couple of examples I'll give, and I'll start by saying the earlier that you call a fight, the earlier that you build your own personal advisory board for your situation, the better. And that advisory board should include a financial advisor, an attorney, a clinician. You know, unfortunately, while this hits you between the eyeballs, there's usually some spotlights that are starting to shine on problems, behaviors that are irregular. So, you know, your loved one doesn't look the same. They're not taking care of themselves the way they normally do. Their behaviors are different. Maybe there's cash missing in the house. Maybe there's alcohol missing in the house. They're not hanging out with the same people or they're spending hours behind closed doors of some kind. And sometimes when that happens, you might already be searching for a, a family therapist, or you might be searching for guidance. And the reality is your mind also needs to take on another component, which is, is this going to cost me money? Is this going to cost, am I going to have to find specialists to support me? Who is going to teach me and help my family? And then if unfortunately it goes down a path where it really does necessitate some type of clinicians or therapists. Again, it's unfortunate, and this is part of the stigma and part of the being brave. What, it, what how do I prepare for the worst case? I don't wanna go there. God forbid if I have to go there, but what if I have to go there? So I think as an example, if you see your spouse behavior is not right, start thinking about that. If you have a child who's not behaving in some of the ways we just described, Talk to your guidance counselors, your teachers, talk to an educational consultant, talk to the therapist of your family and talk to the appropriate type of financial advisor who can help you understand, don't go and liquidate your 401k as your first source. Don't go and take out a cash advance on a credit card that's gonna charge you 19.8% interest. 
you know, start thinking about these things ahead of time. And the second piece that I would say when you're on this journey is once you get through the difficult, most difficult parts and you're breathing again, mm -hmm. unfortunately, there's a very high relapse rate. And so you need to, again, build that war chest or reconsider what will that war chest look like? And so I think, you know, you're seeing it coming or you're not, you're in it and then you're out of it. But there's opportunities at each of those stages. There's been a disruption in your family's behavior. That in and of itself should be a red flag that says, I need to talk to somebody that's gonna help me understand and prepare what to do. And one of the things that we've been finding more and more as we talk to people about the situation is that you can't really experience, you can't really empathize something that you haven't experienced yourself. Mm. You can go, mm, ah, but I know when we talk to people that have experienced a loved one with addictive behaviors, the conversation takes on a whole nother dimension than when you're talking to someone who's just read about it. Yep. And that's where our, one of our strengths comes into play. Besides the fact that Michael spent 30 years on Wall Street and has extensive, extensive background across a number of financial instruments and the way markets work and how to help people achieve what they need to, when somebody is in panic mode, we truly get it. We get it. We've been there. There are questions we know to ask that you wouldn't know if, if you didn't go through it yourself. So... In turn, the entire way we approach the customer relationship, our client relationships, the way we ask them about things that they may or may not be doing to reevaluate their finances or think ahead about how they will handle a situation. If you haven't been there, you're not going to think to know it. And so we bring not only that personal touch, we bring the financial expertise and we bring the boldness to say, we're changing the way business is done with families that need this help. I'm actually doing a, a talk in a couple of weeks with uh, NAMI. And the whole theme of that discussion is it's not enough to know what to do, you have to know when to do it. There are timing issues that are involved. You know, if you're making claims in insurance and you don't notify them early enough uh, or you don't review your policy, um, you know, you may find yourself out of luck. You have to recognize that there are certain things you can do as a parent when your child is a minor that you can no longer do when they're not. And so you, you have a timeliness and an urgency that needs to be addressed. Most people don't know this because they've never experienced it. And to Sharon's point, um, you know, you, you're, you're kind of caught not by uh, what you know, it's what you don't know. And it's what you think you know that isn't true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We talk about that, the unknown unknowns, the things that really throw you off balance and, and disrupt everything. And this is partly, you know, it's, it's people who have had extreme circumstances or have been in predicaments that learn this as such valuable sources of insight. So to ask, typically, how do people hear about you or find out about you and and what's that first conversation like because you've described you know they, they sort of open up but how do they come into that without obviously disclosing I'll ask you to generalize but you know what are some of those first conversations is when you say the difference between someone who's read about it and 
somebody who's experienced it? What are those, you know, real empathy building uh, kind of questions or what does that open up? What are the, what are the big things that other people just wouldn't see unless they'd experienced it? That, that's a, that's a tough one because we, we get introduced to various points in, in, in the recovery cycle. I think what we find is that uh, part of our challenge is there's a level of denial that uh, families and, and individuals are just not willing to accept the fact that they're in over their heads. So as an example, uh, I met a, a, an individual who just discovered that their, their son has got a technical addiction, which is something relatively new. Uh, and he was very concerned because he was recommended uh, to go down a course of action that in his words, not mine, was going to cost him six or seven years worth of uh, retirement monies to do it. You know, from our perspective, I think what we're doing is so new that no one's ever really linked the financial aspects to the recovery side. So our challenge is, is getting people in the recovery continuum. So what, what do we mean by that? Those are uh, interventionalists, educational consultants, who are the Thera other ones? Therapists. Therapists, example. Are really Get important. them to know, because quite frankly, what, what and Sharon can elaborate on this, what ends up happening is at some point, their clients are balking, I can't afford this. How do I do this? Where do I go? And, and basically everybody in, in the continuum goes, well, I don't know, that's not our job, but I know you need to go to this facility or you need to, to do this right now. So um, the biggest challenge for us has been building awareness in that community that we exist. And I think things like this podcast, uh, other, you know, as Sharon points out, all the blogging that we do is original content to build awareness that we're thinking about things that maybe other people don't. So I think, I think when you ask us about how do people find out about us, we have a really interesting push-pull challenge in front of us. Everybody needs to know who we are because the reality is that almost everyone we talk to is aware of a family that's dealing with difficult times that have been inflicted through either the pandemic or addictive behaviors in their family. That being said, we cannot be mass marketers. We are not mass marketers. We need, our, our ability is to get a message out that allows people to self-qualify. And they self-qualify by saying, my best friend is dealing with this, or my clients are dealing with this, and here is how I might be able to help them. Or I am a recovery center, and this is an amazing way for me to help appease all of the tension that my clients are dealing with as they're paying for these services. I am a therapist and my client knows that their loved one is going to need additional uh, formalized services. And they look at me and they go, how am I paying for this? And I don't know how to help. I don't know how to answer them. Or somebody re hears about us and goes, uh-oh, I wonder if the behaviors I'm noticing and denying represent something bigger. And maybe I need to find out more. And maybe I first better find out if there are things I knew to do to protect my financial standing. So we really want everyone to know about who we are, but at the same time, we need people to self-select and realize that there might be a situation in their immediate sphere of influence that Michael, that Michael's Tudor Financial Advisory Practice can help. It's a long journey. 
Yeah, it's, it's it's lifelong. You know, we're we're at a point now where our son is five and a half years, and I would say, from a, a emotional perspective, he's he's grown a lot. He's become a lot more spiritual. He's dealt with, and, and I'm sure Sharon would agree. You know, COVID scared scared us. You know, you're dealing with someone with an addictive personality, with you know, potential mental illness, and this is forcing us into God knows what kind of behavior. And I, I would say he's demonstrated some real personal strength through this. Mm-hmm. But having said that, we also know that things can change in the blink of an eye and you don't always get uh, six months of warnings. I mean, things can turn extremely quick. And so you, Sharon will say she's never gotten a good, you know, exactly. the same night's sleep since this happened. Because as, as much as we want to say things are going great, uh, as parents, you know, we have to acknowledge the fact that one day it may not. And, yeah. uh, you know, that that has issues in terms of not only how are you dealing with things today, but what happens when we pass? You know, do you want to leave your estate to somebody who, on the blink of an eye, if, if, if something goes wrong, uh, can see this uh, estate and this tremendous amount of money as a trigger and, and not a benefit. So you need to start thinking about these things because it is a lifelong journey. And because at least in our case, you know, it, it started with a child who was roughly 15, you know, that's what another 60, 70 years ahead of us, you know, at, at the time we started it, that we, we, we had to contemplate for. Yeah. And it requires planning. And that's what we're here to do is, is, is help people see the big picture, see the long road ahead uh, and, and make the most of what they have. And on that, on that journey, you would be involved throughout. And, and typically, what sort of things can you help with and, and what are the benefits of that? Could you just bring that to life a little bit? I mean, one of the issues that Sharon and I found on our journey with having him go from place to place was a lack of continuity, right? You would send you'd send your your loved one to a facility, they would finish, they kind of say, thank you very much. Uh, here you go, go figure out what your next step of the uh, recovery plan is and uh, you never hear from them again. Uh, I think what we're doing is A, we're providing that continuity um, throughout the entire life journey because uh, this is one of those examples where I think having gray hair helps. People like to know that you've lived and experienced a lot. Um, but then you also have, you know, cash flow considerations, short-term and long-term. Um, short-term, to say the least, it's, it's incredibly impactful. You're, you're, you're writing rather large checks fairly frequently. Then you have the ongoing therapy and you have the ongoing medications. Um, in some cases, you have increased insurance premiums. So for us, the, what we think we bring to the table, which is really good, not only for the families, but also for some of the um, facilities that we work with, is this continuity that after they leave one facility, there is somebody who is with them for that entire journey, not, hey, I'll take you to this point and then hand you off to the next person. And, and we think that's that's a, a, a distinguishing characteristic about what we do versus what other people might do. So we provide continuity in two ways. We provide continuity as a financial advisor in understanding how to build 
uh, long-term financial plans that will protect you and your loved ones when unexpected fortunes go astray, if you will, or unexpected situations go astray. Number two is we provide continuity of care because of the background and experience that we have, having experienced it personally. We know the importance of having somebody who can guide you and perhaps think ahead because of what they experience. It doesn't mean we know it all, and let's make that clear, we don't. Mm -hmm. But there are, you always look to get advice from someone that's had an experience that you're in the process of to guide you and to give you a heads up. And we provide that ability to give a heads up and then add to it, think about this from a financial perspective. And continuity is really important in life in general and in life when you're dealing with this situation. And that continuity is also, I think, needs to be expanded to a definition of resiliency. Yeah. And if we ever had that need before, everybody has that now, not just those in a difficult situation. Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the words that I've been meaning to put into the Google trends machine to see that that word resilience is one that from certainly from a personal perspective over the last few years, you've just the frequency of usage has increased quite dramatically as, you know, not just in terms of the world that we live in, in terms of our environment, but also, as we know, our, our children as well and ensuring that they are resilient because so many of the things that, you know, might have been considered a certainty when you are we, different generations are growing up are, are are dissolving and changing or being disrupted and and that I think that's where you hear the word resilient an awful lot it sort of has to be added in there to a a, a skill set that you just can't accept there's going to be a, a a continuity that things are going to come along and and change your situation so whether that's sort of things you you choose to do yourself or, or things that just kind of blindside you and I think that this continuity is important again um, across populations. And what do I mean by that? We've spoken about the importance of educational consultants, um, school boards and educators, the therapeutic communities as our partners. The business community is also our partner because we know, especially recently, there's a lot of press about over 50% of those surveyed, employees surveyed are talking about having extreme stress, depression, anxiety. Well, if you're bringing it to the office, you ain't so productive, okay? And so what is the impact of this? I believe there are stats that are showing it in B for billions of dollars in lost productivity, which of course makes sense, it's natural. So we have to look at this and be a piece of the continuity that provides individuals both the ability to personally perform and professionally perform. And when you're highly stressed and your attention is fragmented because of this huge disruption in your household, you need some sense of guidance. You, and that's where your personal advisory board comes into play. How is a therapist helping you? How is a school um, administrator helping you? How is a financial advisor helping you? Because we have to, no matter what, perform in certain ways, no matter what's going on in our life. We're dealt good times and bad times. When the bad times come, you can't crawl into a hole. You must still persevere and continue. So you need to surround yourself with those that are going to allow you to stay afloat, if you will, socially, financially, uh, whatever other terms are appropriate in this situation. Yeah. And where are you helping people? Is this 
local to Raleigh, North Carolina, or are you helping people all, all over? So um, the answer is it's, it's not local. Um, when you think about families that are putting children or any loved one into a facility, uh, very rarely do, do we see that the facility is located very close to where they are because you're looking for, for the best help you can get. And there are some areas that uh, are, are known for it. Uh, so, and we think our message resonates uh, across the nation. I have done speaking engagements at, at uh, various facilities across the country. Uh, we think that given the technology that's available today, there is absolutely no reason that we should be just limiting ourselves to our physical proximity. Uh, I think our, our message resonates uh, from coast to coast, uh, border to border, country to country. So we're clearly, again, this goes back to your question about whether we're rebels or not. We think we are rebels because, uh, you know, as an individual small company, we're trying to provide a, a national presence. Our services are nationwide. Michael has licenses across many, many states. And as he said, you don't, when depending on what your needs are, you might look for local assistance or you might be using services that are across the nation. So it is not, yes, we are currently living in the Raleigh Triangle. Our services and our clients are across many other geographies and we welcome the opportunity to speak with people from multiple geographies. We ourselves have lived in numerous geographies. You're established and you're building this out. And one of the things, well, our, our paths have crossed via the Sense Network and that's how this conversation um, got started. Um, you know, what are some of the challenges that you've got and you know, how might the Sense Network potentially help you with perspective or feedback or who knows? I'm just, just thinking here, you know, it, it is that thing that we don't talk about or you know, when you need it, where do you go and get it? And there must be lots of questions that you've got. So I was just wanted to open up the, the conversation around where you think the Sense Network might be able to help. So I, my immediate answer is if anybody listening to this podcast and this message resonates with you in any way, or you know somebody who's going through this, uh, reach us, call us. You know, we, we are here to help. I think our biggest challenge is just building awareness of the services that we provide because they are so, I'll, I'll use the word unique, uh, certainly different uh, with respect to, uh, you know, the way we're trying to reach out to people and the services that we're trying to offer. Uh, the best thing that we can get <clears throat> is getting people to just be aware of us uh, and tell other people that uh, they're aware of us. Yeah. So I want to thank you for that offer. I would say to the Sense Network, chances are as you're listening to our conversation, many of you are either impacted by this personally or have friends or loved ones in your inner circle that are impacted by this. Send them our way and let's talk. We continue to build our business by talking to people that help us to solidify and tighten up our message and to ensure that we're building partnerships with the appropriate people. This is something that's very unique and at the same time it's not because I would wager that at least half of you on this, listening to this podcast, know somebody. So bring them on.
is the answer. Bring them on. Let's keep talking. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we've encountered is very often when we meet people in this situation, they go, wow, I wish I heard of you five years ago when you could have made a difference. Um, and that goes back to the timing issue. If you think you're having an issue and you're not even sure, have the conversation. The worst that will happen is you'll learn something that you didn't know uh, and you'll be better prepared. Uh, our, our goal really is, is, is to educate and help families do what they need to do to take control of their financial situation and make smart decisions because you're going to be making a lot of them and you're going to be making significant decisions under enormous emotional strain and time constraints. Uh, so the faster you talk to somebody, and we obviously hope it's us, but you know, the faster you get the help, the faster you'll be on that road uh, to recovery. Mm. Well, you mentioned that April is Financial Awareness Month and, you, and Alcohol Awareness Month, but I believe yes. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So I was going to suggest that maybe we, on the back of this conversation and people having had the benefit of being able to listen to this, that we organize a meetup, on the, a virtual meetup on the Sense Network and anyone who's interested or wants to learn more or has a perspective they think might be useful. And, and certainly for me, I think, on listening to this, where else it could be applied? As you said, there's a, there's a spectrum of addictions that impact individuals and families. So what might be those other kind of trigger points, if you like, for having the conversation? And then also, um, it's really how to frame this around, you know, how do you make it easy for people to talk about it or, or knowing it's relevant as well? And, and there's one thing that we've certainly learned in all of the years that we've had collaborations with the sense that those different perspectives that come in can just often help us see things in completely different ways. Um, and so that just might be an interesting conversation to have as um, you know, questions emerge or we can go and explore things that even you may not have considered and you've clearly given this a huge amount of thought over the years as well and, and how you've now brought to bring that to bear in a service Beautiful. And we're happy to support you any way we can. Awesome. Well, Michael, Sharon, thank you so much for sharing that story and telling us more about it and this really valuable work that you're doing. I'm sure a lot of people are much better off because of it. So um, look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. We look forward to the conversation. This brings us to the end of a mind-expanding conversation with Sharon and Michael. Think about what you've heard. What does it mean to you? Have you been caught by what you think you know but isn't true? Do you need advice on what to do and when to do it? If so, please join the conversation with us at The Sense Network. This knowledge deserves to be out there. Thank you for listening to Extreme Perspectives from The Sense Network. Remember to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back soon with another extreme, non-mainstream, possibly uncomfortable conversation from the edge of culture. We'd love to know what you think, so leave us a comment. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends. 
In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at The Sense Network. And if you're a creator, outlier, misfit, rebel, or crazy one, and want to collaborate with us, join The Sense Network, linked in the description. We look forward to next time.